All right, my friends, this week at Rebel Girls Book Club, we would like to start off by strongly recommending that listeners under the age of 16 years old click off and offer trigger warnings for the following while reading Saga. Rape, sexual assault, pedophilia, war, violence, um, extremely strong language. Am I missing anything? Gun violence. Pretty much every trigger warning you can imagine is going to be present in this episode, and I would like to give you all a heads up beforehand. We do our best in the episode to call out when these things are happening, but it definitely did not happen at every point. Please be advised to proceed with caution because Saga just deals with a lot of really intense topics. And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books? Nonfiction? It's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. Hello, I am Harmony. I'm Maggie. And we are Rebel Girls Book Club, and today we are reading Saga. Only volume one. Yeah, only volume one. Before we, like, go into this, I just want to say, because I know that some kids may listen to this podcast, or parents of kids. I know sometimes kids follow us on Instagram. This story, in particular, should not be read by kids. And that means a lot coming from me because I'm pretty anti-censorship. And I know we talk about, like, sex and we swear on the podcast. This story, I find too much for kids. So maybe don't listen to this episode. Definitely, like, a 16 and up situation at the very least. Yeah, it definitely was like, oh, this is definitely rated R. More so than anything we've read in the podcast, I believe. Yeah, I knew that going into it. And the only other thing I knew going into it was that this is one of the most beloved graphic novel series of all time. And now I feel very conflicted. How much porn do you think is on the internet with this graphic novel series? Oh my god, so fucking much. Well, yeah, I think probably a lot. Although I do know that the majority of the story actually follows Hazel. So I don't know like what that changes about the tone. But I'm pretty sure it's just explicit the entire time. I don't know. Maybe people don't feel the need to make porn because it's kind of like, it's really sort of just right in there, you know? Yeah, it's a lot. It's definitely a lot. But I bet there's some like weird fan fiction and stuff that I don't know that I want to explore. Um. <laughs> yeah, no no one confirmed that for us, please. Just, just let us live in ignorant bliss. It was just nagging at me as I was reading. So uh, Maggie, do you have a summary that you want to give of this volume one? I can give a basic summary. So essentially, we are following the narration of a girl named Hazel as she recounts how her parents got together in the middle of a war where they are sworn to be mortal enemies, essentially, and what happens when these two opposing armies find out that not only have these two people gotten together, but have had a child, which is essentially considered to be extremely heinous. So Hazel is sort of recounting the setup of what happened immediately after her birth throughout this graphic novel yeah it's it's definitely what do you think of hazel as a narrator i found that interesting maybe even from a feminist perspective because i know that feminist stories are all about reclaiming your own narrative so i think it's interesting to like have somebody retelling the circumstances of their birth yeah i will say though that i think that sometimes her narration is a little bit unbelievable considering the fact that she's talking about her own parents like Some of the commentary is really, like, weirdly detached and kind of pointed, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just, it's hard to know anything about Hazel in Volume 1 because besides these, like, little bits of narration, she's a newborn the entire time. So, like, it was hard to connect with her narration style as a character, I guess, for me. Yeah, that makes sense. So, what were your initial thoughts 
like after reading this or I mean, as reading it to be honest that I don't understand why people love it as much as they do <laughs> but, like to just to be honest I didn't dislike it by any means but like every single person I know in real life who has read this which is a, a lot of people even a lot of my friends that don't read really like this all adored it it has like a 4.2 rating on goodreads with over 200,000 like reviews so i really thought that this was going to be something i was gonna love even though graphic novels aren't really my thing and on the one hand this as a graphic novel i think this is the best format for a graphic novel for me that i've ever had like Okay. I loved the art. Fiona Staples is insanely talented. And I don't know, something about that aspect of the format worked for me in a way that graphic novels don't usually, but like the story for me did not work. Okay. I understand that. So, but you don't normally read graphic novels, right? So was it the story because it's a graphic novel was it no that was the thing that surprised me usually i don't usually i don't mind the story of a graphic novel but i wish it was told in in like a novel format and this Mm -hmm. one i loved the graphic novel format and just wished that the story was a little bit different and that's not true i wish that the dialogue was different the story was fine i found the dialogue to be a little bit off putting (laughs) I could see that. I occasionally read comic books and stuff, and, like, the dialogue for the graphic novels I consume in general can be a little bit cheesy. This, I think, bothered me because we're a feminist podcast, so there was, like, it's... It feels like a man wrote it. I don't know if that's bad or gender. I mean, a man did write it, to be fair. Yeah, but usually it doesn't, like bother me as much I guess I just I guess I didn't know what was going on and then I read it and then I was like this is a lot of edge and I still don't know how I feel about it it's it's a lot of edge for the sake of edge I think though that to be fair we're not talking about normal society in times of peace we're talking about a society that has been completely militarized and all civilians are part of this army And I do think that, I mean, knowing kind of adjacently about military culture as much as I do, certain aspects of that are present even today in our armed forces, you know? And, like, I'm not trying – and I'm not speaking from personal experience here, to be fair, but, like, there's aspects of that that are just everywhere. That was what I was reminded of. You mean in terms of, like, the edge, slight – I don't know if it's even like a libertarian perspective, not really, because we're not really talking about government, but there's like, there, the, this graphic novel, like trying to read it from a feminist lens was difficult because it has some like progressive elements, but then, you know, the words like trigger warning here, like retard were used and cunt and not an empowering way. And so it, it's very like anti PC for the sake of PC or yeah, or just anti anti PC in general. It's a lot of edge that didn't bother me. The fact that it wasn't PC, what bothered me as a reader, I think was that I just didn't, the intro of the novel as we're like going into it, it's like, she's talking about shitting. And I was like, Oh, this is like meant for punks or something, which isn't, bad it just was it felt almost a little inauthentic yeah i don't know that part didn't bother me most women who are about to give birth birth do shit (laughs) i thought that was kind of funny i think though that our general point is where we agree even if it may be different on the specifics though is that there were a lot of things in here that just felt gratuitous about the way that they talked like yeah there were definite points where i felt like the edge was necessary to get across the like parts of this world yeah. that are really gritty and understanding the fact that this war has been going on forever and i think specifically the language when they they used when they talked about each other even when our two main characters who were married talked about each other's like different cultures i thought it was useful there because i thought it really exemplified the depth to which this conflict has like alienated the way people think and talk about each other and view each other's cultures which reminds me very much of what happens to the way that war happens in in our society you know like it it helps to reinforce these stereotypes that just end up living deep inside of us 
and then for me there were other points where it was like okay we're like talking all edgy now all of this is happening but like i it didn't feel like it had that same point you know like yeah yeah i think that's my grievance too that i'm still like trying to sit with because i finished this about 30 minutes ago yeah i finished it like two hours ago that's the nice (laughs) thing about graphic novels is that they're short and sweet and to the point and i do want to say that i didn't dislike this just because i didn't love it doesn't mean that i hated it either yeah which i which i think is going to also be an important disclaimer because this really is a very beloved series (laughs) but yeah that definitely stuck out to me very much although i will say it kind of ended on a cliffhanger and the next five issues that's the word i'm looking for the next five issues are in my house so i might continue but we'll see yeah i kind of do want to know what happens the plot is very like it moves you know like it's definitely gripping you wanted to talk about how do we read alana's pleasure at giving birth that's what you you had to talk about and that's kind of that was something i also was confused about the pleasure thing like she likes the pain what do you think of alana as a character (laughs) I really like her. I like her more than I like Marco. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, that really just... I don't know. It was... I I think the thing about Alana, like, her pleasure at giving birth was just, like... It just confused me. And I don't know if it was supposed to be pleasure in the pain because she does say specifically it doesn't hurt at all. It feels good. So, like, I don't know if, like, we were just supposed to be setting up the fact that this is an alien culture or, like, what the fuck was going on. But that was one of the first places where things kind of, like, confused and, I don't know, not rubbed me the wrong way, but, like, got close to that point, you know? Interesting. So, why? Okay. I thought that, yeah, it was the pain because when I initially read this book, it was like, okay, here we have a fairy and she's swearing. I like that. Um, and we've got like this weird detached narrator who's talking about why we have babies. What is the line there? Um, let's see. Oh, she's talking about the fact that she's a metaphor. Yeah. For a long time. <laughs> this is how an idea becomes real. Most don't live long outside of the ether form, which they were pulled, kicking and screaming. Oh, no, no. This is how an idea becomes real. But ideas are fragile things. Most don't live outside of the ether from which they were pulled, kicking and screaming. That's why people create with someone else. So that was cool. I liked that. And I was like, wow, this is a lot of edge. And I think I could like this. I like fairies. But the whole pain thing. Yeah, I don't know. There's like these weird sexual tones all throughout the the book, I feel. And that to me kind of came as like, uh, she's giving birth and she... She likes it and she says it doesn't hurt. But to me, it was like, it it definitely does hurt. She's just having like this weird sort of sexual reaction to it. That's how I read it. Yeah, I don't know. It was just very confusing to me. And it just, I think it just really threw me off in a point where like, I was not ready to be thrown off yet as a reader because I was only like three pages into the graphic novel, you know? (laughs) And this is, I think, definitely a reader preference thing. I, as a person tend to enjoy things more if i can get a little bit of setup and then get thrown into things and this just starts you off in the middle of like really the biggest action scene right so like i think that part of that for me was just i i was finding it difficult to get my bearings because that's not typically what i look for in a book yeah And it just seemed so non-factual, you know? Like, I mean, mean, on the one hand, there are a percentage of women who orgasm while they're giving birth, but, like... Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, but it's really small. (laughs) Like, it's a really small percent. Okay. So, wait, do we think she's orgasming, though? She is making, like, an orgasm face. I don't know, but I would agree with you for this, in the sense that, like, her birth has a weirdly sexual tone to it. Okay, okay. And I... I But I will say I don't think it's because of the art necessarily that happens after she gives birth with, like, her breast is out because she's about to breastfeed. I want to make that clear. Like, I don't think that it's that. It's very much the pages before that while she's actually giving birth, like, and talking about the fact that it doesn't hurt, you know? No, I agree. So on that page, just to be clear, like, she's talking about how it doesn't hurt. And she actually says, 
is it sick that it oh, feels so good? And then there's like a panel of her biting her lip. Yeah. So I do think it's very clearly like some it's very sort of sexual. sexual. Yeah. yeah. But it's not like she's it's not male gazy. It's just that this entire book, like, I don't know, maybe it plays into my sexual preferences. And I don't know why, but it has like this weird sort of gritty power dynamic and it uses a lot of words. And as like somebody whose sexual preferences and fantasies don't always ideologically meet like their um you know their ideals and morals for how the world should work you know like yeah i I like dirty talk and bad things like that like i think that's kind of what this this novel reminded me of because it does have a lot of progressive elements and then it has a lot of weird power dynamics and weird sexual stuff happening yeah, that's yeah. how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, it was just really weird. Like, the whole thing was really, really weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so can we talk about Alana as a character? Is that how you say her name? I think so. Okay, so why why do you like her? Because I found it easier to identify with um, Marco. Really? I don't know. I mean, I didn't mind Marco. Don't get me wrong. Like, he didn't bother me. I think I just liked Alana because I thought she was funny. And I thought that... I think it was really just that, like, I personally found her funny for the most part, you know? And I didn't have a super deep emotional connection to any of the characters. I think that's a problem that I have, generally speaking, with graphic novels and is a reason why I tend to prefer a more traditional reading format in general, But, like, I just thought she was funny. And I also will say that I appreciated some of her, like, mama bear tendencies as well. Like, it was interesting to see what lengths she was willing to go to to protect her child and, like, to make those decisions, even when they were really hard, that I found kind of compelling. And I think Marco... Like, he was just just fine to me. You know? Like, I didn't dislike him by any means, but, like... I had, I think, more positive feelings towards Alana, ultimately. Okay. I could see that. I had, like, mixed feelings about her. I think, in general, because she's kind of the traditionally hot-headed character, the one who, like, acts before she thinks. Not that that's always a bad thing, but she also... She doesn't have a lot of softness to her as a human, whereas, like, Marco is, like, I am a pacifist. He has a little bit more of, like, a sweet, soft spot, and I think that made him slightly more appealing to me as a reader. I think that's really interesting because I felt that until the moment where we see that Marco literally has to stop being a pacifist, and he ends Mm -hmm. up slaughtering an entire, like, squadron of highly trained soldiers that had come to kill them. And Alana has to stun gun him to stop him. And I think yeah. that made him more intriguing to me as a character, but I think also ultimately more scared of him as a character and what had been done to him in the past and how that would ultimately, like, frankly, color his relationship with his wife and his child in the future because it is so clearly like a species versus species thing where all of this trauma comes from for him from being in this war that I think that after that scene happened while I appreciated why it was necessary and made him a more complex character it did I think really alter any soft feelings I had toward him before that that makes sense that makes a lot of sense so what did you think about that scene and why was it necessary and what do you think that like I thought that that was really important to Alana and Marco's relationship. And it was kind of like a sweet thing that even though she is the more hard one, she was going to uphold his values when he couldn't. Yeah. Um, I liked that aspect of it as well. I, I think it was necessary because I think that if we didn't see Marco's need to be a pacifist in any way it wouldn't have read correctly like we see in that scene why he feels the need to stop fighting because he does kind of turn into a terrifying killing machine that his wife needs to shoot to stop right like to help him uphold his ideals and all of that so like that that for me was why it was necessary because if especially since he breaks his like 
millennia old sword at the end which is magically connected to the rest of his family um that wouldn't have had any meaning i think if we didn't see him use it yeah yeah i agree and okay okay do you want to talk any more about that i mean it's like yes and no to be honest it's i think something i'm confused about that is coloring my view of this as well although this isn't like a feminist thing this is just i guess like a writing thing is that i don't understand the fucking magic system in this world and it (laughs) and like as an avid fantasy reader but it really frustrates me to not understand a magic world like a magic Mm -hmm. system in a world and so like i feel like i understood the geopolitical things that were going on the basic story so far is essentially like a romeo and juliet situation but like the magic made no sense to me and i found it so perplexing whenever it had to be used or like how there's ghosts and stuff like the horrors (laughs) that made no sense even though i liked isabel like so i think it's kind of hard for me to talk more about marco and that scene because it what happened there was confusing because it was clearly magical but like i didn't get what was happening either you know on any of a deeper level than i've already talked about oh yeah his sword is magical yeah i didn't even think about it that deeply i didn't think about the magic system which maybe was how we were supposed to be it because i was just like oh i'm accepting this now oh this guy can magic and he has horns and this is a fairy and they they mentioned something weird about like a blood winging, which has to do with, I don't know, it's some sort of, I don't know, maybe when you cut your foreskin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When her, when they like bleed her wings or whatever. Yeah, this was, it was just bizarre. There was a lot of bizarre stuff happening here that I was mostly okay with. I think what I struggled with was trying to relate it to any sort of social commentary because I'm not sure how I feel about it as social commentary because there's a lot going on here. There's talk of colonization in the first pages when they're talking about what to name their daughter. They say something about like, Elena says something about not wanting her to be a boring good girl, which was interesting and maybe feminist, but also, like, maybe a little bit shamey. There's just a lot here. <laughs> I think that this is one of those books where it's social commentary by creating characters who speak and talk like and think like real people, which means that they're not perfect. And some of it is progressive and some of it's not. And then as a reader, you're, like, trying to parse it out, you know? Yeah, But I will say I do think that some of the colonialist stuff, especially in relation to this war that's going on, was more purposefully done than that. No, I agree. Because when Isabel, that's her name, right? Yep. Okay, yeah. When Isabel talks about it, she talks about them as colonists and she talks about what they've done to her world. And it is sad because like the horrors, it turns out, are just a bunch of kids that have been killed from this war. And Different people, like, I found it interesting when we meet the robot people, there's there's a robot prince, and he's got, like, a wife or whatever, and she talks about the good guys versus the good guys, and he's fought in the war, so, like, he hates one side of this war because they've killed friends of his, but she realizes that, like, it's a pointless war, but at the same time, she hasn't fought in it, and yeah. I thought that was also interesting, though, because a key aspect of this kind of world building what we do get from it is that this war has expanded to an entire galaxy but it started off between essentially people who lived on and earth and people who lived on that earth's moon going to war and then once they essentially almost completely destroyed both of those areas they outsourced to other areas which meant that all of these different governments ended up either being paid to take a side or having to take a side because the war had physically come to them. So I I actually appreciated the princess's thought on that because like ultimately, except for the fact that these this government has, I think, been paid to be involved, the like weird TV headed one. The only way to have a moral stance is if you are in the prince's situation and you've been in battle and you've seen the war and like you've had personal loss connected to it. 
So I thought that that was really interesting. And I agree that the way Isabel talks about it is super important as well. She says, let's see. Alana thinks that Marco has died, and so she's talking to the horrors who are the ghosts. And Isabel says, relax, your husband's not dead, not yet anyway. And Alana says, how do you know? And Isabel says, how do you think, lady? We're fucking ghosts. And she, and it, Alana goes, no, you're, you're horrors. And Isabel gets this, like, crazy, look, like, upset look on her face. And she goes, is that seriously what you guys call indigenous peoples? That's kind of racist, don't you think? And so they continue having a conversation about it. And eventually Isabel says, after us locals die, we get to live on as spiritual defenders of Cleve. But clearly that's a suck-ass evolutionary plan since your two armies had no problem wiping our people off the map. And Alana tries to say that they have nothing to do with the war anymore because they're outlaws and they're criminals and all of that. But I thought that that whole when they first really meet isabel and the rest of these ghosts i thought that was a really powerful moment compared with the moment we were just talking about with the prince and the princess about like these costs of war and colonialism and also how i think the costs are also can be different based on gender so or at the very least, based on role, to be fair, more in this novel. Because uh, everyone has been conscripted into these armies, right? It's not just men who are fighting combat. Everyone is in it. But a lot of the victims of the war that we see in various circumstances happen to be female identifying. So we see Isabel and most of her group of friends at least appears to present to be women. Not all of them. They're also kids. So they're girls, really. Later in the book, we see a contracted assassin who we haven't had a chance to even touch yet go essentially to like a planet that is a um, brothel and it comes out that some of the people there are there because of the war which becomes more harrowing when he's taken to this like it's supposed to be more special place of the brothel because he has like more money and his tastes aren't going to be met in like the normal part and he discovers that what they're the person they're trying to sell to him is a six-year-old girl and he attempts to find justice for her which was a really difficult part of this story to read and i appreciate the fact that he attempted to find justice for her and that he wasn't just going to give up on her but so many of the victims of war that we see in this graphic novel happen to be girls you know yeah and even when the robot prince is being told about this relationship that Marco and Alana have because it is radical and revolutionary in some way. And the fact that they had a child is a big, big deal. They talk about like, at first it's not believed that Alana would be with uh, Marco because Marco's race from the perspective that we're getting are, I don't know, violent or something. And they talk about rape camps in which women are, like in which female fairies are who are active soldiers are captured and then just like raped, I guess. And, and often even, impregnated. And often impregnated, but their offspring doesn't survive, which is, I guess, interesting, like foreshadowing for Hazel maybe. But I don't know. It, it's also interesting because the, the scene that you're mentioning about the brothel, before we meet the child in the brothel, we are told that the woman there, like the woman there are called livestock by the two women who are like introducing us to the brothel. And so they are all prisoners. Oh, and the head leg ladies. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of weird stuff in this book, you guys. <laughs> yeah. This graphic novel. I'm it's sorry. I'm not trying strange. to laugh because this is a serious, this is a serious topic, but the illustrations for these two ladies specifically are objectively hilarious. They are giant weird. heads on top of legs and that's it. Weird sexual undertones everywhere. Um, <laughs> lots of strange things going on, not to kink shame. Anyway, yeah, so they're called livestock 
And the whole thing with the girl, the six-year-old girl, too. Can we talk a little bit more about that scene because you brought it up? So yeah. before they go into this scene, our, like, our weird freelancer, who I guess is like a bounty hunter, that's what they call like bounty hunters in this universe, he's walking in and he's really grumpy because he doesn't see anything he likes and he's been spurned by another freelance lady and he's like heartbroken about it. And so he finds this pimp and he's like, oh, this bitch did you good because that's how the people in this universe refer to women often. And he asks whether or not the freelance lady was a strong woman. And our freelancer, this man guy is like, yeah, she was. And he's like, well, you need someone submissive. No, he doesn't. He doesn't answer. The other guy just keeps going. I'm looking yeah, at the page right now. Face. It's implied. Yeah, for sure. I'm just saying he doesn't like the, it's this pimp just like has a monologue and the the uh the will doesn't say anything. He just lets him make his assumptions and doesn't refute it. But I feel like the will definitely has those feelings. Otherwise, he wouldn't be wanting someone who's going to be like a submissive slave. And then we find out that the fucking submissive slave is like a fucking six-year-old that they're like training. And what's the relationship between that and innocence, like submission and innocence and someone you can breed into submission? I felt like, I don't know. What What are your feelings on that? I think even more complicated because of the fact that this child was a refugee that was sold off by her family to try and save her brother because she was too young to go to work in the mines. So, like, I'm, I have so many thoughts about it that this idea that innocence and submission, I mean, it just goes back to the whole purity thing, right? And, like, this weird stereotype that, like, it's sexy to, to quote-unquote, ruin something pure, you know? Um, yeah. And, and that's even in the dialogue. So like he, the pimp is taking the will to, to this inner sanctum and it says, um, uh, the will asks, the hell are we? And the pimp replies, the inner core, this is where we keep our most valuable employees, all handpicked from camps across the gallery. Uh, galaxy camps refugees mostly as soon as the wings and horns finish up a planet we start recruiting you decent in there slave girl anything but master i taught her to say that so like all of it is just compounded into this idea that like it is sexy to take something and break it which is problematic first of all because having sex it doesn't make you like less pure or less innocent is also fucked up because, again, this is like a pedophilic scene with a six-year-old girl, which is just beyond fucked up. Um, and also just... Like, the conditioning is just so disgusting, you know? And the lack of choice and being sold off and all of it. And then I I will say something else that's weird. I guess just given the fact that this graphic novel holds no nothing back is that you know when they open the door to this sex save i I kind of i mean first of all i expected to see an adult woman like let us just be clear there but this little girl is dressed like a little girl which somehow makes the whole thing worse for me almost because it's just like they're trying to still uphold her as being like they're it's almost like they're just really forcing into your face the fact that like this is a child you know and the will freaks out to the point where he crushes the pimp's skull which is graphic and violent but um just every detail about this really highlights how fucking heinous what's going on here is yeah yeah it's very heinous and it's also weird too because the will tries to take this child out of the the brothel and he learns that if he does she will die yeah so he finds out that if he takes her away she'll die her her like owner has says something like okay here we wait so it's morally acceptable to execute people of any age but only to make love to a select few yeah that's an interesting statement because of course it's not morally acceptable to execute anyone and this man does also murder children. Yep. And I don't I don't know. That's just that's something that has always bothered 
me throughout literature, like the way we view pedophilia? Well, I don't I know. Think, it is a complicated. Yeah, and I think that relates to something that happens in Hazel's narration of the first scene we were just talking about. The Will wasn't the first bounty hunter to come after my parents, and he wasn't the last. Like, every freelancer I had the misfortune to eventually meet, he was a fucking monster. But as my family was about to learn, some monsters are worse than others. Yes, I agree. I was going to read that one, too. So what does that say? And it's also weird because Hazel talks about how men have hurt her before we meet the Will, but only one broke her heart. and. There's just a lot of, like, I don't know what that means yet because we haven't read the other graphic novels, but there's a lot of weird weirdness with the will. Like, I don't, I just don't understand. I think that the thing that struck me about that whole conversation about execution versus, God, the phrase make love really fucks me up in this context, but that is the words that the lady used to describe the situation. In context with also how Hazel narrates it just reminds me that, like, there are some things worse than death. Like, that's what it... That's what I was immediately reminded of. I'm not sure, like, as Rebel Girls Book Club, like, us as hosts, like, maybe that's what the book's saying, but I want to separate that because I know that there are people who have been sexually assaulted and probably sexually assaulted as children and would maybe not have that narrative. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying it's right, but I do think that's... I do think that's what the book is implying, though, At the very least, the book is saying that there is a difference between these two acts and what what it does or or the people who who do those kinds of acts. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't even want to make moral judgments about it because it's just not my place. No, but it is interesting. And to go back a little bit and trigger warning for people who are sensitive to sexual assault of children, obviously. I know it's a little late now that we've been talking about it. But, like, it kind of reminds me of reading Lolita and just, yeah, how we as a society view pedophiles and the weird... Because children are so sacred to us as a society, there is a lot of violent thoughts and words and actions taken towards pedophiles. and. It's hard because pedophilia is a sickness and it's not okay to ever hurt children. But like we as a society can't even think about like how to help people who have this sickness. And it just kind of like brought that up for me as well because we can't, we can't bear it. We can't bear the idea of this happening to children. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I want to talk about it anymore, not because it's not an important subject, but I feel like the book comes close to making kind of some sort of moral judgment about the situation, but very much doesn't do it explicitly. And I think that if and I think that if we keep talking about it, we're going to get into dangerous territory just because neither of us have ever had this experience. But it was just a very harrowing part of this book to read. The will doesn't give up on this little girl. But the plot takes the focus off of her relatively quickly because as he's calling the stock, who is the aforementioned strong woman ex-girlfriend who has emotionally fucked him up enough to drive him here anyways, um, he calls her to ask for help about saving this little girl because he essentially implies that he refuses to keep her there. Like he refuses to just like let her stay even though he had to leave in that specific moment and then the stock is shot and killed and that's pretty much the last we see of the will for the for for like the first volume you know so it's just yeah yeah the the plot de-emphasizes it really quickly like it's a big thing for a couple of pages and then things move on from there fast maybe that's what was kind of hard about this book is that like all of this stuff happens and we don't get time to sit with it yeah i would agree with that there's there's so much that happens here and it 
moves on very quickly from all of it. I think that's a place where I struggle with graphic novels in general, to be honest, is that like, I really need to sit and read descriptions about things over and over again. And graphic novels, generally speaking, in my experience, don't tend to let you do that. This one definitely doesn't. Did you have any thoughts about the stock just being like killed off like that? She's kind of built up as a big character. And then she just dies very suddenly. I thought she was cool. Illustrated terrifyingly. She was like half <laughs> half spider, half sexy lady. Didn't have arms, I don't think. Just kind of her spider legs. I don't know. The stock. We thought the stock was going to be the person who ended up capturing Alana and Marco. And she meets them and she talks to them and then runs away from the horrors because she describes something very violent. She once saw the horrors the ghosts do, but we discover when we actually meet Isabel and the rest of the ghosts that the horrors don't do anything to anyone. They manipulate you mentally to think that you're seeing things. So really what we learned about the stock was that like she was terrifying. She was formidable. There was really no escaping her. But that there were also things in life she was terrified of. And also that she cheated on her boyfriend for a job. That was what we found out about the stock. Like that was all the information that we really had about her. Yeah, which made me feel like she was built up simply to progress the Will's character. And that the Will will most certainly be back for other reasons too. But, like, did you feel, I don't know, did you feel let down that she was, like, killed so early? Because before we actually meet her, she is mentioned, which makes us think she's important. She comes, we're like, oh, God, she's going to kill Hazel's parents. Like, here it is, it's coming, because something bad is, has to happen to Hazel's parents, because Hazel does sound so detached from all of this. Yeah. And then she doesn't, she just dies. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think I think when you frame it like that, like yeah, I th- I'm disappointed by that. I think I just really gave so little fucks about either of the freelancers, to be honest. That like I didn't really care. Like honestly, I didn't care about a lot of the characters in this. But if there were characters that I wanted to follow and learn more about, it was really pretty exclusively Marco, Alana, and Isabel, and maybe like a little bit of the prince and the princess. But really, it was just the three of them. So, like, being given the perspectives of these, like, bounty hunter assassins, it didn't do much for me. So, I agree with you in the sense that I think she very much was used to just kind of further the Will's character, and I find that disappointing. But, like, on a personal level, did I give a fuck that she died? Nah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm invested in the Will's character because I like to know things. And we're getting a lot of weird planted things that have not been explored yet that, like, make me want to read these other books, even though I'm not sure I particularly love this graphic novel. (laughs) I feel like this is one of those books where it's, like, impossible to say that you enjoyed it because it's not an enjoyable experience reading all of these things. But, like, it touches on enough important topics that, like, it's it's a valuable read, potentially, could be, maybe. It clearly was for a lot of people. So, like, I just, I don't know. This is really not what I thought this story was about going into it. Me either. Me either. No, I agree with you completely. It kind of, I wrote an article recently about my feelings on the Joker movie, which is another really controversial movie that, or like, for media form that isn't exactly enjoyable to watch. And my friend had said that it reminded her of moldy bread, or it was like dumping mold onto moldy bread or something, and there was just like no catharsis for it. And I don't think that this story is thankfully that bleak. But yeah, it had some of that like, As I was reading that, I was reminded of that statement because we don't get to sit with anything and because we don't get moral judgments. And I'm kind of somebody, for better or for worse, who really likes her moral judgments and likes having a right and wrong and likes, like, decatharsis. I mean, that's why we do this podcast. We want to talk about things and figure stuff out. Or I do. I want to talk about things and figure shit out. So... (laughs) See, I think I'm I'm more okay with you than, like, ending up in a very moral gray point 
I think that really my issue here was like we were saying before is that I feel like I just needed more page time with each of these things to like unpack them because mm-hmm. it's just like the whole thing is just morally ambiguous so far given the context that we have you know when they're even careful when they're talking about how and why this war started to not really say who started it you know like yeah don't get me wrong there's definitely actions that i think you're supposed to condemn in here like the entire conversation that we just had but like there mm-hmm. is a lot of moral ambiguity about what's happening in this world and whose fault it is and who's right and who's wrong yeah but it also has like some weird nihilism going on yeah that's hard for me as you know a romantic person to unpack <laughs> yeah yeah okay um do we want to talk about ptsd oh there's a whole trig the the scene that we were just talking about with the um the what's her name the stock what's her name yeah the stock yeah, when she gets killed, it's very reminiscent of how people in the U.S., how cops in the U.S. react when they think that black people have guns. That was... Oh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. For sure, with the prince. Like, word for word. The prince... Somebody thinks that the stock is reaching for a weapon when she's really reaching for her license. Yep. And, and they shoot her. The, her license is sure. Yeah. Her license to show that she's, like, a real freelancer. And then, yeah, they shoot her and she's dead. Yep. And that's that. And then we move on. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting because it was, like, a direct parallel, it felt, in a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And the prince is the one who shot her. So, like, nothing... It's implied that it could have consequences. Like, they end up talking about it like it might, in some world, have consequences. But, like, ultimately, it seems like that that isn't going to... Yeah, see, the reaction to this ends up being... Well, she's working for the enemy. So that's... Yes. It's going to have, like, more war con- consequences. But it says, uh, the prince goes, bloody <laughs> bloody fucking blood fuck. And then who he's with goes, it, it was a good shoot, your majesty. That freelancer drew down on you first. I'll back you up in the after action 100%. And the prince says, yes, yes, thank you, McHenry. You behaved commendably under fire. So, like, the whole thing just is very much a callback. And this first one, I think, came out in 2016, which was, like, I was just saying that this book was written in 2016, which was really at a a height of uh, a lot of the police brutality. A lot of the very famous incidents about police brutality in the United States happened around that time period when this book was being written. And we are absolutely still seeing the consequences of police brutality today. And it is still a topic, a hot topic that should be continued to talk about. But I do think that was very purposeful given when this book was written, you know. Also, can we talk about the prince's obvious PTSD? Because the prince we know has just come back from war he's watched his friends die and there are multiple instances where he loses his shit and just is violent and the incident in which he kills the stock is one of those times yeah and there's also i think implications that he disassociates like when the prince is a tv screen like their heads are tv screens and when he disassociates random images pop up that are scenes that he witnessed in the war i didn't know that I did not pick up on that. That's what I, that's what I'm assuming it is at the very least. I just kind of thought it was like a weird sort of he's an alien and now he's like trying to show you what he's thinking about sort of thing. But that's really interesting. Or like intrusive thoughts, something of that nature. Okay. Do you think the fact that he is, I mean, they call him Prince Robot. Do you think there's like something we can delve into because he's a robot and like how that might relate to disassociation or his ptsd or like i don't know i don't know if we can in this one to be perfectly honest with you because even though prince robot has a big part in the sense that like he kills the stock and stuff we actually spend very little time with prince and princess robot um the the first scene that they're in together they're trying to have sex the second scene he finds out he's going back to war even though he's just gotten back the third scene, he kills the stock, and then the last time he's in it, he's pooping and finds out his wife is pregnant. So, like, 
I think I think they're setting up for some kind of commentary on it, but like I I don't I'm not entirely sure yet, except for the fact that I do think it's interesting that a character that clearly has PTSD has this interesting visual way to showcase the symptoms that are normally just, you know, thoughts in one's head and make it like a visual thing. Yeah. Okay. You also really wanted to talk about Isabel's relationship to the family. I don't know how I I felt about that. Like it didn't really, it didn't seem like either of the parents really cared about her that much. And she was just kind of a nanny, which kind of bothered me because she was like an indigenous person that they just found. And she was like, Hey, I'm going to help you. I would have liked to see them care more about her. I think. So the thing I was more interested in, I think was the idea in this novel that like family is more than just two parents and a kid. They talk about that a lot. The notion that it takes a village at the end, their grand, uh, one of her sets of grandparents comes to live with them. I agree with you that their treatment of Isabel is kind of weird, but Isabel was also using them for her own gains. She just happened to know a lot yeah. about babies. And also they had only known her for two days. So I don't super blame them for not giving a ton of shits about her, to be honest, if we're just thinking about the timeline of it. Um, I think... But she's also a child, even though she's a dead child. Like, she is a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, I don't know. (laughs) It's also interesting, though, because she knows way more about, like, babies than Alana does. You know? Because she has... She was the oldest of seven. So there's like a interesting dynamic there where in yeah they're both they're both using each other like but like she is kind of playing the nanny role and even though she is younger she has more savvy and and therefore like almost just as much power as these grown-ups who are kind of adopting her I think that something that's interesting to think about is whether she is as young as she seems just because there are times yeah. where she talks about like, oh, when I was a kid, I would have liked this. Or like she refers to herself as be, I don't know. I think her age is a little bit ambiguous. Like she's definitely not old for sure. But I think it's possible that she's a young adult, you know. Um, not that that super changes your point. But I don't know. I think it's just worth it to bring up that like how old she is is ambiguous. Partially because she's a ghost whose entire bottom half is missing. Poor Isabel. Yes. I mean, she could be like 300 years old, but I guess in demeanor, she's still, she she uses the word dude a lot and she like kind of uses a lot of slang. And so in demeanor, she still comes across, even if she is a young adult, I still feel like, I don't know. As someone who is kind of like presents herself as orphan child in need of help, like a lot of people adopt me and therefore I would adopt other you know, helpless people, even though she's not helpless, or just, like, young people who haven't reached their brink of maturity. And so, I I guess, I don't know. I just felt like, you know, they should be like, okay, well, you are ours now, and we will love you. Yeah, I mean, she's she did attach herself to their newborn daughter's soul. Like... <laughs> it doesn't seem to hurt, Hazel. I mean, it might, though, because it's it, it's unclear at the end if Isabel's dead or not. And, the, and Isabel did say that when the bond is severed, it will hurt. So, like... But you can't kill a ghost. I mean, it, but that's where I think it was kind of weird, because the art makes it seem like they might have managed to destroy her. Like, she kind of explodes when they shoot her. Huh. I think she's coming back based off of how Hazel as a narrator has talked about Isabel. She said some people, some rich kids get nannies. I got Isabel. Yeah. And but she also like, says, you can't remember when you're a baby. She also says that Isabel is the first though. So like, Oh yeah, you're right. Hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. They are upset when she gets shot, but I mean, she yeah. also got shot in front of, I appreciate- that's, that's an upsetting situation. I think I was just more interested, I guess, from a feminist perspective about the idea that like, this graphic novel at the very least showcases so far two equally invested parents who take an equal interest in their child's life 
Although, to be fair, they're in a very non-traditional circumstances. There were criminals fleeing. And also the fact that, like, raising children shouldn't all be on the woman and that it's okay to go for help and need help and things like that. That was something that I appreciated about it, even though the circumstances for all this, of course, are as far from, like, a traditional birth and family unit as possible, you know? Okay, so how did you feel about that? Because I also had mixed feelings about that as someone who doesn't have a traditional family unit, but who, like, has a very stereotypical hippie family unit. And this was, like, I felt like the punk ideal. Like, the the characters of Marco and Alana are just, like, punk stereotypes to me. <laughs> So what did you think about the fact that it wasn't a traditional family unit, but at the same time, it's like a heterosexual couple and I don't know. They use like words like retard and Alana is quick to call people cunt or bitch. Yeah, I I agree with you that it's very much a punk stereotype. I just think that it's important to normalize the fact that like you're allowed to ask for and accept help when you have a child, especially when that child is very, very small. No, I agree. But what do you think about the punk stereotype? <laughs> did that, like, did you have feelings about it? No, except for the fact that I just, like, agree with you that this is very, like, they, they're, as characters, they're just very much punk stereotypes. And I think, again, that's why I didn't care a ton about them. You know, like, they didn't feel super like characters to me so much as they felt like caricatures. Yeah, okay, okay. I think that was my big problem with this book. <laughs> yeah, I it's agree. It's going to change every 20 seconds. <laughs> I don't know. There's so much happening. Do we want to talk about do we want to talk about Marco's ex-fiance that he didn't tell his wife about and he gave he gave her someone else's wedding ring? <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Um what did what did you make of it? I think that was another thing that made me dislike Marco compared to Alana because that seems like a really big secret to keep and it really made me feel kind of distrustful toward him. I think I just didn't care that much maybe because I also didn't really connect with the characters um, and I also felt like Alana was kind of I mean after you know Marco was dying when Marco was dying as soon as she he mentioned another woman's name she got like really jealous and that kind of made me not like her because it was like okay but you don't know the whole story just like ask him which she did and she resolved it pretty well like she put aside her jealousy and was like hey you gotta tell me these things but I thought the fact that she was so upset for a while like giving another woman's wedding ring Obviously not cool. But the fact that she was so upset about Gwendolyn for a while really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. See, I totally disagree because I think that Marco is set up to be kind of like this good guy sort of situation. And that in the most case, he's like kind of soft and quiet and a pacifist. But like we see him lying and keeping things from his wife and then playing it down like he doesn't really understand why it would be important, why it mattered that he had a fiance. Uh, and also, like, this burst of intense violence. Like, I think all of it together just really made me not, like, feel very uncomfortable with Marco. Because if I was on the other side of things like that, I'd be freaked the fuck out, you know? <laughs> like, and I think it is jarring to have your husband be dying and be, like, my bride, someone else's name, you know? Like, not to say that it's okay to be jealous on that front, but, like, I don't think, to me, these two things equate as being the same level of bad. I don't think they do either. I think... Hmm. I think that... I mean, we already know that Marco isn't what he says he is, because it's kind of hinted at earlier that he used to be savage or something. Like, some of the people looking for him talk about how like he used to, oh it's a stock the stock says that your husband used to be savage or something it's the reason he wants and to be I a pacifist he, now is because he was a, a terrible brutal killer yeah and she said you're lying so like we already know there's something that alana doesn't know but i also i guess because it is a novel that like take is taking place in war times and because it is a romeo and juliet sort of love story it kind of struck me 
and because we don't get very much context for what's going on like we don't get to see the story build between them it kind of struck me like these are two dumb kids who were like i love you i love you kind of like romeo and juliet without really knowing each other and we're like i'm gonna have a baby which is i don't I have judgments against that, maybe? I don't know. Wait, are you talking about <laughs> like Marco radical. and Gwen or Marco and Alana? I'm talking about Marco and Alana. I think that it, it seems as though their love story played out very fast and, like, they don't really know each other. And I don't know if they... I mean, given the circumstances, I don't know how you're supposed to be. But I don't know if they are super emotionally healthy people. And I think... I don't know. Like, it's not cool not to tell your wife about something, but, like, how much time did they have to tell each other about this stuff? How much time did they have to get married in a war zone and then, like, have a kid? And I just... See, I just think I find that interesting because that's Marco's whole reason for why Gwen doesn't matter was because they were young and dumb and not really in love and she didn't really know him. Like, that... And, like, he changed and she refused to accept it. Yeah, I just I just don't care about it, I guess. Like, it just doesn't really bother me. And I think that my problem was that, like, when Alana... Like, Alana had her husband dying, and then suddenly he mentioned a woman's name, and then she was like, well, let him die, essentially. She didn't say that, but she said she was going to kill him. And I think it's, like, this rough, tough exterior that I just can't really connect with because I have no edge as a human <laughs> so like i just didn't the anger was just like oh and it also just kind of bothered me as someone who has been in quite a few relationships and has been really jealous because i was like that's like a lot of jealousy right there that like i can identify as being unhealthy because i've seen jealousy work in relationships and seen it go to a really unhealthy level I guess I just didn't care that much about it. I think the thing that bothered me was when Isabel was like, oh, it's just your pregnancy hormones. (laughs) That was bothersome. I think that was meant to be bothersome. Yeah, because it's, yeah, for sure, (laughs) for sure. Ari, can you please stop? Just go see your dad. He's right upstairs. Just go to him. Um, All right. Uh, Do you have anything else that you want to talk about? No. I want to ask the listeners... So please reach out to us and let us know if you want us to read a second saga for next season, maybe. Yeah. Because if you don't want us to, I don't know that we're going to. Yeah, I mean, I might finish it just for myself, but, like, this whole, yeah. Yeah, let us know how you feel. If you want us to keep talking about it, let us know. If you're like, "Mm, this was a really bad episode. Yeah. Let us know. All right. Harmony, what's your homework for this week? Wait, wait, wait. We have to talk about whether or not this was feminist. Oh. I mean, I think the answer is kind of obvious. What is it? What's your answer? I mean, I don't, I don't really think so. I think that it talks about social issues, and I think a lot of those social issues relate to feminist topics. But, like, this to me does not read as a feminist book. I think it's possible that later issues do, especially as the story moves into being more about just, like, Hazel and Hazel in this world. But, like, this first issue to me was not. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What's my homework for this week? What's your homework for this week? How about I ask you? (laughs) I think that I'm going to donate to the local chapter in uh, Seattle that helps uh, girls escape from sex slavery. That is wonderful. I have very, very, very little funds right now. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, I just... I think I'm going to try and be okay more with moral ambiguity. No, that doesn't feel right to me. What am I going to do? I guess I'm going to try and be more empathetic to the people in my life who have experienced some of the traumas that are happening in this book in particular, such as sexual assault or um, PTSD. That's what I'm going to do. That's going to be the Harmony, the Harmony homework. All right. What are you reading, Harmony? I finished The Philosopher's Flight, and now I'm reading a, and, and, and I finished The Vine Witch, which I told Maggie about, 
You guys, if you like the All Souls trilogy, let me suggest something better. <laughs> you should listen to or read The Vine Witch because it doesn't have a slightly abusive love interest. And I feel as though it's a slightly more feminist take on that sort of genre. And it's about wine, which makes me think Maggie would really like it. What am I reading? I'm reading this story about Guinevere. I think it's called Guinevere, Queen of the Summer Country. And it's a part of a trilogy, and I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. What are you reading? I am rereading The Secret History by Donna Tartt. Oh, good. Yes, I saw that on Instagram. Yeah, it makes me happy. It's a really good book. What are we doing next week? Uh, I don't know. Kevin's coming on, isn't he? Kevin is coming back. Kevin is coming back, and we are going to talk about Spider-Gwen. And hopefully, if I can photograph all of the pages for Maggie and Kevin, we're going to talk about one of the issues of um, my favorite superhero, Ms. Marvel. Fabulous. So come join us for a much more lighthearted episode next week. I don't know. Kevin's on, so we don't really know what's going to happen. It could just be all shit. (laughs) Very true. Very true. All right. Talk to you guys next week. All right. Bye. You can follow us at Rebel Girls Book Club on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Gays. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously.